it's mostly changing in who the farmers are. I mean, most American farmers are still older white men, um, but the fastest growing demographic slices of the farm population are uh, Asians, uh, Hispanics, and women. So it's changing at the edges. I think another thing is that it's most American agriculture is very big, very big corporate farms. But again, the fastest growing part are the smaller farms, and they don't often show up in the statistics. What do you think is behind those changes? Well, I think it's still a holdover with from the 60s when everyone wanted to go back to the land. But what kept on is the notion of living a healthier lifestyle and uh, making sure that the food that we eat is healthy food. Um, we asked a bunch of farmers what's the hardest part of their lives and what's the best part of their lives. The hardest part was pretty easy. No money, no security, no vacations, long hours, bad weather, trouble with time management, and a lot of government regulations. But the best parts consistently had to do with one's personal life. It was working outdoors, independence, working with members of your family and with animals, seeing the results of your work, eating fresh food all the time, and just generally living a healthy life. So it's a tough life, but the people who choose it, um, they are richly repaid, I would say. Uh, do they use the Old Farmer's Almanac? You know, it's a, that's a great question, and I find that the big corporate farms, probably not. The smaller farms, to some degree, yes. But it's always interested me. I used to go on the road and visit uh, news media all over the country. And when I go to Des Moines, Iowa, which is really the center of farming in the Midwest, um, they were beautifully respectful people. They are using satellites. They're looking at the data about the crops in Brazil and, and other parts of the world. But they really love and respect the traditional wisdom that the Old Farmer's Almanac brings along. Sure. And technology, of course, has changed to our society uh, since 1792. And as you just mentioned, farmers use a lot of technology today uh, in order to uh, keep going for over two centuries. Now, uh, the Almanac has had to adapt to technology and actually use it to expand your content. Uh, can you give me an example of, uh, of that? Well, People are often disappointed to find that we don't use the number of acorns in the crop or how long the, uh, the hair is on the cattle to determine what the winter is <laughs> going to be like. Not that we don't respect that. In fact, we love it. Um, I majored for a while in folklore and mythology at Harvard, and, and I, I, I came away from it really respecting those people and how they successfully lived in times that most of us would, be, would have a great deal of difficulty now. Um, what they did worked over the long term, and it was based on literally thousands of years of observation and experience. So I have enormous respect for folklore. And I'll mention in passing that you've heard of old wives' tales. Mm -hmm. Well, I've met a lot of old wives, and they all seem to be pretty smart people, so I'd be careful about using that. Um, Nowadays, of course, we are using many of the same scientific instruments that other people are. We rely on satellites. We rely on keeping track of the temperature of the big ocean currents, the El Ninos and La Ninos, and there's many others. Um, but right, when you get right down to it, from 1792 on, we have based our forecasts on the solar cycle, 
which means what's happening in the sun. Uh, some people know it as the sunspot cycle because sunspots, the rise and fall of the numbers of them and where they are on the sun um, is the easiest thing to see. And the first thing that people saw when they started making this connection, Galileo counted sunspots 400 years ago. The Chinese apparently were keeping track of them 1,000 years ago. And it's been determined that the rise and fall in a fairly predictable 11-year cycle, an average of 11 years, sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter. And the guess is that when you see more sunspots, the sun is more active, and therefore more radiant energy is reaching the Earth's atmosphere, and you're going to have warmer weather, fewer sunspots, a lower cycle, as we say, should be colder weather. Here's the interesting thing. The solar cycle at this point is as low as it's been in 100 years. By all accounts of the, of the model we've been using, this should be colder than normal weather on Earth, and we know that's not true. So that's our answer to the question, are mankind's activities warming up the Earth? It sure looks that way, and we're adding that factor into our forecasts now in a way that we didn't in the past. There's a monthly almanac that uh, one can get uh, with online, uh, yep. online or, or even on a, on a, on a mobile device. Yep, uh, you can download device. it every month. And now there's something else new here, too, uh, that uh, you're doing. I guess uh, you can interact with it uh, uh, on an in-home device, uh, an Echo or such That's as right. that. The latest thing. And, and, you know, this fits even in a historical sense. If you consider what Robert B. Thomas, the Massachusetts school teacher who started the Old Farmer's Almanac in 1792, was thinking about, he actually rejected what he felt was superstition. All of this folklore, he rejected astrology very firmly. And what he was trying to have for farmers was a handheld device. You know, the Old Farmer's Almanac was a small, convenient book. That, that people could look at every day to determine what the weather was going to be like and, and what was for those days modern agricultural techniques. He was looking forward. He was an innovator. He was a technologist of, the, of 1792. Your claim to fame is new, useful, and entertaining matter with a pleasant degree of humor. There's an article in Almanac 226 featuring everything you ever wanted to know about groundhogs, or woodchucks, as uh, some people call them. So let me ask you right to the point. How much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? We'll never know, because woodchucks <laughs> can't chuck wood. Right. <laughs> I found it interesting that in Appalachia, people call them whistle pigs because of a whistling alarm sound they make when, when uh, they need to get everyone back underground if, they, if there's predators around. And we also use them for medical research because it turns out that woodchucks and groundhogs um, can acquire a, a version of hepatitis that is similar to that that humans get. So we're using them to watch out. And as far as danger to your garden goes, well, there's a number of different suggestions we make about controlling woodchucks, but the best one was that if you want woodchucks out of your garden, you have to spend more time in your garden. Anything you want to add, Tim? Well, there's a lot of funny stuff. We always, I'm sort of the editor of Weird here. Um, we have a piece on snake oil. Now, these days when we talk about snake oil, we mean something that's something of a scam. But originally that came from Chinese laborers brought over to work on the railroads in the 19th century. They brought with them liniments made from the Chinese water snake, 
which it turns out are rich in omega-3 acids, which we know a lot more about now as a contributor to health. Well, they used it. Uh, it worked well for them. Uh, American entrepreneurs thought, I'm going to catch on to this, but real shortage of Chinese water snakes in the West, so they used rattlesnakes, who also have omega-3 acids, but not as many. Um, after a while, they weren't even using snakes anymore, and it was about that time that the idea of snake oil came to, to mean a scam. So I never knew any of that stuff. I didn't either. So actual snake oil is all right, but anything that isn't snake oil that purports to be is right. is the problem. Okay. And uh, and nowadays, once you say snake oil, you're you're talking phony. 